Hello everyone, and welcome to Biopedia. The 12th of February is the anniversary of Charles Darwin's birth in 1809. As such, like we did last year, we're having a Darwin Day special episode to mark the occasion. This time round, we're going to do something a little different and do an overview of the HMS Beagle. I imagine that the Beagle is one of the first things that people associate with Darwin. However, the Beagle didn't spontaneously come into existence just before Darwin set foot on it. So, today, let's explore the life and afterlife of arguably one of the most famous ships in modern history. The Beagle was a member of a type of warship that were created in 1807, and were the brainchild of one Sir Henry Peake. Designs for HMS Beagle, and another ship, the HMS Barracuda, were submitted to the Woolwich docks in February of 1817, with some alterations made a few months later. The ship was unveiled in Woolwich in May 1820. The same year, the Beagle would be part of the festivities surrounding George IV's accession to the throne. The Beagle saluted the occasion upstream of London Bridge, being the first sailing man-of-war with rigging to pass the bridge. However, there wasn't really anything for the Beagle to do afterwards, so she lay around for a while, minus her rigging and masts, before being reused for the voyages she's famous for. As part of her preparation, she was altered in 1825 to decrease the number of cannons she had, and with the addition of another mast to make operating the ship easier. The Beagle's first voyage started from Plymouth on May 22nd, 1826. The captain was Pringle Stokes, who had been given the post back in September of the previous year. The Beagle's job was to travel alongside the HMS Adventure, which was heading for South America to map Tierra del Fuego and Patagonia in South America. The expedition itself was led by Captain Philip Parker King from Australia. Now, Pringle Stokes became depressed during the challenging section of the expedition in Tierra del Fuego. In fact, he shot himself at Cape Horn on the 2nd of August 1828, after isolating himself inside his quarters for two weeks when the ship was in the Magellan Strait at Port Famine. He was subsequently delirious for four days, and died ten days after shooting himself. Parker King assigned the first lieutenant William George Skyring as the new captain of the Beagle. However, he wouldn't stay in this role for long, and was ultimately replaced by Robert Fitzroy. As an interesting aside, Fitzroy was the great-great-great-great-grandson of the Stuart King Charles II. He was competent in his position. However, one notable event came when some people from Tierra del Fuego took a boat from the expedition, and Fitzroy captured the relatives of the perpetrators. A girl, a boy who was called Jemmy Button by the expedition's members, and two men were ultimately taken and came back to the UK with the Beagle when she arrived on October 14, 1830. One would die to smallpox there, but the remaining trio were brought back during the second expedition. As a final thing to mention about it during this episode, the Beagle Channel in Tierra del Fuego was discovered during the expedition. With the 1826-1830 expedition out of the way, we're going to get to the one that is most renowned, the second expedition, from 1831 to 1836. 
Robert Fitzroy had wanted the survey in South America to carry on under his authority, but the Admiralty seemed to scrap the idea. Accordingly, Fitzroy made his own plans to bring the people taken during the first expedition back to Tierra del Fuego. An uncle of his got wind of this and got in touch with the Admiralty. The second expedition would go ahead. Its objectives were to finish the charting that the first expedition had started, map out coastal Peru, Chile and certain Pacific islands, and to measure longitude worldwide. Fitzroy was planned to be assigned to HMS Chanticleer and head to Tierra del Fuego. However, the Chanticleer was in a bad state, so HMS Beagle was chosen instead. So, that's the first surprise takeaway from today. Darwin's famous book, which we'll get to later, might have had a different name entirely had the Chanticleer been in better repair. Fitzroy was put in charge of the expedition on the 27th of June, and the Beagle was assigned to the task under Fitzroy on the 4th of July. The Beagle was made shipshape at Devonport, with Fitzroy making changes including bringing the upper deck 20cm up and forwards 30cm. As an aside, the Beagle was also among the first ships to have a lightning conductor installed during this time. The second voyage also saw the earliest use of the Beaufort scale for measuring how fast the wind is going. Now, this is all well and good, but I haven't yet got to the part of the story that everyone knows about. How did Charles Darwin end up on board ship? Well. Fitzroy had previously noted during the first expedition that geological knowledge was required. Moreover, Stokes's suicide, and that of Robert Fitzroy's uncle under workload pressures, demonstrated that a high rank could bring isolation and pressure. Fitzroy wanted a friend to come with him for the expedition. This didn't work out, so Fitzroy asked a certain Captain Francis Beaufort to find a biologist who would provide companionship. This is how we eventually get to Charles Darwin. He was in his early 20s at the time, had just left university, and was in the process of joining the clergy, planning to join after he got back from the voyage. Notably, at the time, he sincerely believed the contents of the Bible. He began to alter his stance during the expedition, albeit the concept that species could change coming only later. Now, Darwin was nearly turned down for his payless position on board the Beagle. This is because Fitzroy was an adherent of physiognomy, so he almost didn't take Darwin along due to his nose shape, thinking that a person with Darwin's nose shape might not have the necessary perseverance and drive. However, as history tells us, Darwin did get the role. His broad task included gathering and noting down things that could be valuable in advancing biology. The Beagle would set off from Davenport on the 10th of December 1831, with the date having been pushed back from October. She stopped at Barn Pool for a few weeks due to adverse conditions, but eventually set off. Darwin himself slept in a hammock suspended above a table because there were so many people on board. The specimens he gathered were shoved into the forecastle. Now, the well-known period in Galapagos was only one stop on the Beagle's journey, and only one chapter out of 21 in Darwin's book about it. In fact, she would travel on from South America to areas such as New Zealand and Sydney, travelling all the way around the world. 
However, the second voyage itself is a topic best left for another time. Suffice to say, the journey, and Darwin's time on the Beagle, contributed to the creation of his theory of natural selection. The journey ended in Falmouth in October 1836, almost five years after leaving Davenport. Darwin published a book about the trip, which hit the presses in 1839. It had a lot of names over time, but would ultimately acquire the name we know it by today, The Voyage of the Beagle. There would be one final expedition from 1837 to 1843 led by John Clemens Wickham, charged with charting the Australian shore. The ship departed Woolwich in June of 1837. It stopped at Plymouth for some changes to its equipment before leaving in early July. Beagle subsequently went south, stopping at places such as Tenerife and Cape Town before arriving in the Swan River in November. The expedition would survey sections of the Australian coast, before doing the same in the Arafura Sea between New Guinea and Australia in 1839. The voyage was the first time that the entire Australian coast had been surveyed. Several places were given their names by Wickham and John Lord Stokes, the man who replaced him after 1841. This included Port Darwin, given its name for Darwin by Wickham on October 9th, 1839. Both Captains Wickham and Stokes had been part of the second expedition. The Beagle Gulf in North Australia was also given its name as part of the Australian expedition. A type of tobacco called Nicotiana benthamiana, which is vital in studying relationships between hosts and pathogens, and especially with viral plant diseases, was discovered at this time. And Benthamiana's widespread application primarily stems from the abundance of fungi, bacteria, etc. it can be infected by. Its finder was Benjamin Bino, the surgeon on board the Beagle. He was a valuable member of the crew, and often spoken of by Stokes in his later telling of the expedition, but he was also a keen biologist, and had gathered specimens alongside Charles Darwin in multiple locations during the second expedition. Bino discovered a lot of species, one of which was N. benthamiana. The only time that gathering plants is mentioned during the third voyage is in early November of 1839. Bino subsequently sent William Hooker a letter in 1843, mentioning donating the specimens he'd collected to Hooker. N. benthamiana is present in these specimens. The first collected specimen of the species was moved to the Royal Botanic Gardens following Hooker's death in 1865. Suffice to say, I'm not going to delve too deep into the subject of N. benthamiana in this episode. With that, the Beagle's expedition days were over. Beagle had apparently been given low-quality wood during her infancy, and the second Captain Stokes was concerned that bits of the ship would begin to come apart. Beagle was no longer thought to be fit for life on the high seas, so was redesigned to be part of the Coast Guard in 1845, being given to the Customs Department to get a handle on smugglers in Essex in 1846. She was stationed in the Roach River near South End to rein in smuggling in Pagglesham, and renamed to Watch Vessel No. 7, although my sources have disagreed on when this renaming took place, ranging from having been completed by 1851 to taking place in 1863. 
I haven't got the primary source referred to in one instance, so I can't say with confidence. Regardless, in 1851 there was a call for the ship to be taken out, because it was blocking both the roach and the beds of oysters within it. The ship was likely run aground at Havengore Creek in 1863, where she would serve as a residence for members of the Coast Guard. Her role was subsequently made obsolete with the construction of permanent housing in the creek a few years later, and she was bought by a company called Murray and Trainer for £525 in April 1870. The ship was taken apart, and what couldn't be reused rotted in the creek. A story persisted that the Beagle had been bought by the government of Japan, and was a part of their fleets until 1890. In an article from 1900, V. Martial Law maintained that a vessel used for training was said to be the Beagle itself by a certain Arthur Morris who lived in the area, and that contacts in the Navy had told Law the Beagle had been bought in 1860 for $75,000 by the Prince of Kagoskima. The vessel was then supposedly given the new name of Kenko Khan and bought by the government of Japan in 1862. It was then used for teaching purposes in the Bay of Yedo and was finally auctioned off for salvageable material. Law said he'd found the debris himself in Yokosuka in 1890. This story appeared in a reference in the journal Nature in 1888, and was lent weight by Francis Darwin when he noted that, despite the vessel being in Japan, he still retained a section of the ship as a box constructed from part of her timber. The Nature story cited the Japan Weekly Mail, but the authors of a 1994 paper discussing this story found no such allusion in Japan Weekly Mail articles from 1886 through to 1888. The error springs from the fact that the real Beagle was given a new name after she was removed from the Navy, as was custom and as we just discussed. As such, a new vessel called the Beagle was constructed in 1854, notably some 70 feet longer than the previous incarnation, and this was the one that would be acquired by Japan. However, Japan would not have known about this tradition, and so cited their vessel as the HMS Beagle which had carried Darwin to Galapagos. The mistake was then picked up in Britain in the 1888 reference, and given credence by Francis Darwin in his annotation in Charles Darwin's autobiography. The Beagle story has been mixed up multiple times. Darwin himself thought the vessel was ferrying coal, as expressed in a letter to Symes Covington, a former shipmate who had served and helped him during the voyage. However, Beagle's supposed state in 1843 precludes both stories. However, that may not be the end of the story. It was discovered in the early 2000s that Watch Vessel 7 was in fact the Beagle, and a ship of the same dimensions was located in the records in Pagelsham Reach in 1847. An investigation in late 2003 found debris in the harbour near Pagelsham Reach, which might be sections of the vessel. Now, a dwelling shows up in 1871, owned by William Murray and Thomas Rayner, although the source I used didn't specify the location. Notably, the company that demolished the Beagle was listed as Messrs. Murray and Trainer. As such, it was thought that Trainer might actually signify T. Rayner written incorrectly. This construction was taken down in the 40s, 
but a boathouse close by contains planks which correspond quite well to those which would have been a part of the vessel. As another piece of the puzzle, an anchor in the 1841 style was found in the Pagelsham Harbour I mentioned earlier, and a further two were discovered in villages nearby, which if they were the Beagle would be nearly all of the four it is thought to have had. Some material from the Beagle was still visible in the Havangor Creek marshland up until the close of World War II, and could even now be in the estuary of the River Thames. So, remnants of the Beagle may still exist today. As always, thank you all for listening. Feel free to get in touch at the show's email address for any questions, comments, or topic suggestions. Until next time, have a great week everyone.